open in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 20. As we get into chapter 20 today, David is on the run. That's in the first verse. A couple of times in the last chapter, we are told that David is fleeing from Saul, that he is escaping to safety. He is escaping with his life. Again, as we begin this morning's chapter, David is fleeing. He is on the run, which is what I have titled this morning's message. How many of you have felt in your life that you have been hunted by another? Persecuted. That's what the word persecution means. You are being hunted or you are hunting somebody else just like a dog is on the hunt. Have you ever felt that? I'm asking this question to begin with. One, I want you to attempt to press into just a little bit of David's emotion. As we go through this morning's chapter, the emotion level is on 10 the entire chapter. Now, for those of you who know me, I'm not a 10-level kind of emotion guy. I'm a little bit more stoic and reserved, so I'm not going to bring out all of this drama for you. But I need you to attempt to press into the movie reel that if we are watching this on the wall, if we are watching this scene live and how it occurred and how, it, how David was processing through it, Emotions are at level 10. And then yesterday, as I finished studying, I opened up my email, and I got an email from one of our missionaries that we support in England. So our congregation has supported Steve and Tina Same for over 20 years, I think pressing 30 years as a congregation. Steve sent me this email linked to an article, and he said, I was at Preacher's Corner on this day. And here's the title. Man... 21, accused of plotting terror attack in Hyde Park and planning to kill a Christian preacher and crowds at Speaker's Corner, hunted physically. Now, this guy's name is Edward Little. You can look up their article if you want the reference. It'll be there after the service. But Saul was a man who was hunting Christians, yes? God got a hold of him. I'm praying for this young man for his salvation, that he would wake up and have a sane moment, and that the Lord would bring him to repentance and bring him to salvation, because he's not that far gone. Amen? But again, this, this just brings up the emotion. How do you think Steve and Tina, uh, Steve and Tina felt once this news reached them? I was there that day. And there was somebody, now Steve doesn't know if this man was going to specifically target him or another preacher that was there on that day, but this man had a target. He was hunting. Steve had a moment where the reality later on where he felt hunted. Again, that brings out pretty heavy emotions as you sit in, you know, your family relationships, your context, you know, these are not easy things, right? It's not just like happy-go-lucky, whatever, I'm just, you know, skipping along through the meadow. So I I bring all this up, one, so that we have context and prayer for Steve and Tina, two, just to ratchet up emotions a little bit, and not to hype, not to manipulate, just to have your mind in a sliver of the right area of processing through David's emotions as we go through chapter 20. Now, um, I'm going to do something that I don't normally do. 
but this is very clear from the Lord. So I spend most of my Sunday mornings, I'm probably an hour, hour and a half, just me and the Word of God and the text that we're going to be in, whatever Sunday it is, and just talking to the Lord. I've already done my studying. I already have my outline. I already have an, a general understanding of where the Lord is taking us, what the text is about, what he would have me share, and those kinds of things. But I had a direct question th with the Lord this morning as I'm sitting with him. I'm like, Lord, what do you want me to share? There's, there's uh, in every text, you can, you can pull out different nuggets, and you can really focus in on different things. But this is in boldness. Like, thus saith the Lord, you shall be careful. I am saying that with confidence, not in generality in the sense there may be somebody in this room who needs to be careful. I'm saying this with confidence in the Lord. His word to each and every one of us this morning is you shall be careful. It's going to come up in context in this morning's passage. But I just, again, I don't want to, I'm not trying to manipulate. I'm not trying to give any kind of religious weirdness whatsoever. I wasn't having some ecstatic moment with the Lord this morning. I didn't feel the Holy Spirit goosebumps or anything. As I'm reading, as I'm talking to the Lord, these are the words that just came up off of the page. And I know with confidence, God wants you to hear this. You shall be careful. And it's going to keep coming up repetitiously through this morning's text. Now, what does the word careful mean? I have a lovely software that tells me. I don't have to be a Hebrew scholar. It tells me what the dictionary form of the word is, which it means to keep, to watch over, and to guard. Now, in, in Bible study, in just languages in general, words always mean something in context. Again, my software does all the work for me. It tells me what this word means in the context in which God is speaking in Numbers chapter 28, which we'll get to in a bit. And the word to be careful means to take care, to watch over. Now, that's not only God's word to you. I also have the interpretation for that word. And this is the interpretation. This has nothing to do with your actions. This has everything to do with your relationship with your Savior. You shall be careful in your daily relationship with God. The context of the passage where this, is, where this comes out of, it's dealing with offerings. And there's a whole list of offerings in Numbers chapter 28. And what's highlighted in that is you go through the text, it begins with the daily sacrifice in the morning. And in the evening, what is being offered to the Lord? You need to be careful. You need to watch. You need to pay attention. You need to take care. And then it goes into the weekly sacrifice of the Sabbath. Then it goes into the monthly sacrifice of the new moon. Then it goes into the very specific feast that the Lord commanded the nation of Israel to participate in. And every, the, the subject matter, the, the heart and the emphasis of all of that, the Lord is not looking for the sacrifice because all of the sacrifices are pointing to the sacrifice of his son on the cross. The emphasis of all of that in taking care and being careful is you watch over your relationship with Jesus Christ. In the morning, in the evening, 
on the Sabbath day, on the new moon, and all these, whatever days that the Lord has given to you to elevate over other days, be careful. And again, I've got, he's, he's preaching to me this morning. And it wasn't, that's the word, that's the interpretation, the application. You have to apply what that means in your life. What would the Holy Spirit be speaking to you right now in caring for and watching over your personal relationship with your Savior? We're gathered this morning not for a religious thing. We're gathered this morning because our Creator has introduced Himself to us. And our Creator has pursued us. Our Creator has watched over us, made Himself known, called us to follow in that call to follow Jesus. Again, Jesus, what are the signs of your coming? What does he tell us to do? Take heed, be watchful, be ready. It's the exact same word in Exodus 28 that we'll get into, again, repetitiously this morning. So, you should be in 1 Samuel 20. Context, again, we left, let's see, we left Saul naked on the ground, prophesying, weird moment but humiliating moment from the Lord. And now just again, just press into David in this scene. He's fled because Saul is sending messengers to kill him and he's been warned, so he ran. And he ran to Samuel, who is a couple of miles away. As Saul has sent other messengers and come himself to kill David, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, totally intervenes in the moment. And it's in this moment, it says that Saul is on the ground all day and all night. So it's not like David was just standing there watching the whole time. David, in that moment where the Holy Spirit has just intervened, David flees again. And he goes back to the town that he just ran away from. Because now he, doesn't, he already had the conversation with Samuel. Now he needs to have a conversation with, with, uh, with Jonathan. But David is on the run. So... Chapter 20 says, Then David fled from Naioth and Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? Again, press into emotion here. Verse 2, Jonathan told him, By no means, far be it. You shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It's not so. And David took an oath again and said, Your father certainly knows that I have found favor. I have found grace in your eyes. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. So Jonathan said to David, Whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. And David said to Jonathan, Indeed, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king to eat, but let me go that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he says thus... It is well, your servant will be safe. But if he is very angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. Therefore, you shall deal kindly 
Very important word in the Old Testament. This is God's loyal love. You shall deal kindly with your servant. For you have brought your servant into into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is an iniquity in me, kill me yourself. For why should you bring me to your father? But Jonathan said, far be it from you. For if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me? Or what if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go into the field. We're going to pause there. So again, just sit in this emotion. David has gone through the experience in the prior chapter. We ended in Psalm 59 last week where he has recorded for us a song, a prayer that he was singing to the Lord. Our imagination is it's while he was there with Samuel that he is writing that. He has seen God intervene miraculously in his life in protection. And his emotion is still, he's not, he's not, he knows that the circumstance is not over with. He's not comfortable remaining in Saul's presence, even though God just got a hold of Saul as he's sitting there prophesying on the ground. So David is, again, he's, he's fleeing back, and now he's going to have a conversation with Jonathan. And he comes to Jonathan, best friend, in commitment. These men love one another. They respect one another. They care for one another. And David, in his emotion, tell me, what have I done? Like, where's your, where's your dad in this? What, what is he saying? Where's my sin? Where's my iniquity? Where's my misdeed? Where, where have I missed? And Jonathan's looking at him like, David, you're crazy. What's going on? Just remember, we said last week that Saul told Jonathan to kill David for him. Da- Jonathan interceded on behalf of David. And Saul is seen to have a moment of clarity, but in that moment of clarity, it seems that he wants to just get his son out of the way. I'm not going to kill David. Uh, uh, Keep Jonathan aware of any other attempts in that direction. Keep him unaware of any other attempts. So the other attempts that we see in chapter 19, I mentioned last week that it seems like Jonathan is totally ignorant to what his dad's plans are. He's ignorant to what has just gone on in Samuel's hometown. He's ignorant to the Holy Spirit coming upon his dad and him being unclothed and all that whole scene. Jonathan is completely unaware. He's just having a good day, whatever he's doing, going about his life. And now here a friend comes and just pouring out of his heart. And Jonathan's, David, you're crazy. What, the words that are coming out of your mouth, there's no reality there. If my dad still wanted to kill you, he's told me historically, would I not know this? And if I know this information, I'm your friend, you're my brother. I'll tell you, I'll intervene. And then David, again, just pouring out his heart is, Jonathan, you don't know what's just happened. You don't know what's going on. Your father is determining evil towards me. He has just, he, he just hunted me. He has sent multiple messengers to end my life. Now tell me. Find out for me what's going on. Stand in the gap. And then you have Jonathan responding to him. David, whatever your soul desires, whatever you have planning on in your mind and your heart, tell me. I'll do it for you. What do you want me to do? And then they come up with this plan. Now, is David lying? 
So David is telling Jonathan, let's tell your dad a story, something that is not true, to test, to bring out of Saul what his desire really is and what his heart really is, so that Saul's heart will be exposed to both Jonathan and David. So Jonathan's going, or David's going to his friend and asking him, you know, would you participate in this scheme with me? So, most of the commentaries would point to David. This is an exposure of, the first exposure that we have in the Word of God in regards to a character flaw in David. Now, in my mind and in my flesh, I want to discount that a little bit. I don't want to fully discredit that idea, but I do just want to bring up many thoughts here. One of them is... What's David's lifestyle? He's a general, right? Generals are tacticians. They're schemers. They're planners. And David, in his mind, in his heart, he's come up with a plan, with a tactic to expose his enemy's intentions, not just to himself, but to Jonathan. So would you still call David a liar, or is he just being a tactician? If you were to cancel, if you were Jonathan in this moment, and this was David's plan, would you tell him, David, it's not right to lie. We shouldn't, we shouldn't lie to my dad. We shouldn't create a scheme in a, in a story. You should trust in the Lord. What do, you, what do you think? I think a lot of it presses into personality. So one of the ideas is uh, Peter. So is, after Jesus was arrested and Jesus tells Peter that he's going to deny him three times, as, as Peter is following behind and he's warming himself by the fire and some little servant girl says, points him out and says, hey, this guy, this guy was with Jesus. And Peter denies it. Was Peter lying? Yes. Did Peter have a reason to lie? What was his reason? He didn't want to get arrested. He wanted to stay safe. He wasn't afraid of a little servant girl. But his master, his teacher, has just been arrested. He wants to be close. He wants to remain close. He doesn't want to end up in the same condition. So Peter told little white lies that ends up being compounded by cursing and all these denials. And again, there, there was a teaching point of the Lord there for Peter's heart. Yes, you say this one thing. But here's the scenario that's going to be brought about in your life that you're going to deny. And why did, why, why did that denial come about in Peter's life? And again, we can sit in the psychology, and then we've already sat in John 21 recently where Jesus restores him three times. Three denials and gives him the opportunity to say three times that I love you, Lord. I love you. Forgive me. Cleanse me. So when it comes to lies, if you're, if you're taking notes, I want you to put down this. The, there's a little table, a little matrix that's helpful. And over one of it, I want you to put others in column one. And I want you to put self in column two. And in the rows is labels. I want you to put facts. And then I want you to put values. So in that first box, in regards to others and facts, when you tell a lie, that's called deception. In that same column, when you tell others a lie and you're violating values, there's, there's a duplicity there. 
there's right that hypocritical mask. You're saying one thing, but you really believe and think another. And the self column, when you're telling facts, you're not just you're not attempting to deceive others in that relationship. If you're lying about facts to yourself, you're delusional. But when you're lying about facts to uh, yourself in regards to your values, you've become demoralized. Bunch of D words for you. You're, you're immoral in your core. Now, if you want to sit in this matrix with what is David doing in his behavior? Well, he's not delusional. He's not lying about the facts to himself. He hasn't lost his moral compass and relationship with the Lord. But he is seeking to intentionally deceive his enemy. And when you sit in, what are the, what are the, can, what are the cases in life where it's okay to lie? A burglar comes into your house, gentlemen. You hide your family away in a closet. And the burglar, your enemy, asks you where your family is. What do you say? Well, they're in the closet. <laughs> Let me show you which one. Can I get you a cup of coffee? I'm supposed to be hospitable, too. What do you say? Nobody's here. None of your business. It is okay to lie to protect life. And again, this is not, we're not dealing with David in his relationship with his friend Jonathan. We're dealing with David in his relationship with his king Saul, who is hunting him. And if he doesn't operate in the wisdom of covering his tracks in regards to his behavior, he's exposing himself to his enemy, which is unhealthy. And this isn't just in a thought today. When we get into the chapter next week, he lies to the priest, Abimelech. He lies to the king of Gath, Achish. We're going to watch this, David, continuing to tell people lies, whether they're little white lies or... You know, they're just in his reasoning, in his flesh, in the moment. But in all of that, God is right there with him, walking alongside of him in his life circumstance. But again, we don't have from the heart, heart of the Lord, the word of the Lord here, David, you have just sinned. You need to sacrifice an animal. You need to come clean. You need to get right with me in this circumstance. What he is attempting to do in his test, in his scheme, is expose the heart of his enemy. And is my enemy my enemy, or is my enemy my friend? And his enemy, he's his king. He's the one that he's fully submitted to. But again, David is on the run in this circumstance. I want you to, if you mark in your Bibles, in verse 7, David's conclusion of the test, if Saul says it's well, and he says, your servant, I will be safe. Circle that word safe, it means peace. So what David's doing in this test, if Saul is chill, and it's all right that David's not here at this feast, then I know that I can return and abide and remain, and I will be safe. I will be at peace. Good thing, right? To be at peace with your employer and your environment. Hold on to that. But if he's angry, Jonathan, 
me and you, we need to be sure that Saul has evil determined in his heart. Again, this, 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 this throws out truth into the context. Saul's not playing games here. Saul's filled with evil. He's filled with wickedness. He is attempting to murder an innocent man. Good or bad? Very bad, very evil. So again, David is protecting himself in this, in this scheme and in this plan. But Jonathan... If, if, I, if, I, if I've got an axe to grind with your, with your dad, if I have sinned, if I, am, if I am doing evil, you kill me yourself. You don't need to take me to your dad. If you know what my sin is, if you know what your father believes my sin is, you kill me yourself. Here I am. And who's David ultimately trusting? He's trusting the Lord. And he also trusts his friend, Jonathan, for sure. But in this, there's also testing of David and Jonathan's relationship. David has a, a friendship with Jonathan. And Jonathan wasn't the one to send warning to David about his dad trying to kill him. So David's sitting in blindness in regards to Jonathan's behavior in the immediate couple of days, right? Right? So now David's coming to his friend. Did you know that your dad was going to come and get me? No, not so. What are you talking about? Would I not tell you if my dad was planning evil against you? They have this covenant and this relationship. And again, David's testing that there also, and it's true. Look at verse 11. We ended halfway through it. Two of them head out into a field. So, so both of them went out to the field. Verse 12, then Jonathan said, said to David, the Lord God of Israel is witness. Now, my Bible has in witness and italics, which that means that those words are not in the Hebrew. It's being written in, in the English translation, so we have an understanding of what's being said. But what's being said in, in declaration, in emphasis, out of Jonathan's mouth, the Lord God of Israel. He is calling God to the conversation that he's going to have with David. God be witness to the words that are coming out of my mouth right now, David. When I have sounded out, when I have examined my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, and indeed there is good toward David, and I do not send word to you and tell you, may the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you. I'll uncover it and send you away that you may go away in safety. Circle the word safety there because it's the same word, shalom, peace. And the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And you shall not only show me the kindness, not only deal kindly, but again, this is this word loyal love. You shall show me the loyal love of the Lord while I still live, that I, uh, that I may not die. But you shall cut off your kindness. You shall not cut off your kindness for my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, first mention of the house of David in the Bible, saying 
Let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. Now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. And when you have stayed three days, go down quickly and come to the place where you hid on the day of the deed, and remain by the stone Ezel. Then I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target, and there I will send a lad saying, Go, find the arrows. If I expressly say to the lad, Look, the arrows are on this side of you, get them and come, then as the Lord lives, there is safety, there is peace for you and no harm. But if I say thus to the young man, look, the arrows are beyond you. Go your way. Why? For the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter which you and I have spoken of, indeed the Lord be between you and me forever. And David hid in the field. All right, so here Jonathan is calling the Lord to witness in this moment, making this commitment of, hey, here's what we're going to do. When I sound out my father, if all is well, I'll let you know all is well, and you can come back and you can remain in peace. However, if it's an evil report, if my father has determined evil against you, I'll send you away in peace. I had you circle peace in both contexts, because for David, like the word that he needs to hear from the Lord, whether he stays or whether he goes, What is he to abide in? Shalom. God's peace. His Savior. David, just as the Lord has been with my dad. Again, sit in Jonathan's context in that. And remember what God has done for Saul historically. Anointed him with the Holy Spirit. Changed his heart, made him another kind of a man, gave him victory, appointed him this position as king. Saul's had this stripped away from him because of Saul's own behavior, but God has been with Saul continually, not to be his adversary, but as his adversary, as Saul's hand has been against the the Lord's will in his life, but God has been there for Saul to bring about God's peace in Saul's life. If Saul would, what? Be careful with his relationship with the Lord. But Saul has to, Saul is determined just to be free dealing in his relationship with his creator. He believes in God. He believes in the God of the nation of Israel. We're going to see his behavior in a minute at the new moon feast. A feast that is to be dedicated to his God. We're going to watch his behavior. He is not being careful in his relationship with God. But again, sit in this emotion between Jonathan and David. David, I'll bring back word to you one way or the other, but also there's this depth of commitment. David, I believe what you're telling me about my dad, essentially. Jonathan's leaning towards David's camp, that his dad does mean evil, that David is not just sitting in imagination in this context. Jonathan knows that David is going to be the next king. The behavior of kings in this time is you go kill anybody else that has a claim to the throne, which means that you kill the successor or the guy that preceded you, and you kill the family. 
And Jonathan is making David make a covenant with me. We love each other as brothers. And I will love your household for all eternity. And I'm asking you to covenant with me to love my household forever. And this we'll get into in 2 Samuel chapter 9 when we eventually get there. The story of Mephibosheth is fabulous. Because here you have this broken man, this broken descendant of Jonathan. And you watch David treat him kindly. Not our English word kindness, but with the loyal love of God. How he treats this broken man, Mephibosheth. Um, Fabulous story that we'll sit in later on. All right. So the men are in agreement. They have a plan. Verse 24 now the new moon has come. So again, in Exodus 20, or sorry, Numbers 28, this is one of the, the feasts that they're commanded at the beginning of the month, that they are to have a specific sacrifice. The reason for these sacrifices, the morning and evening sacrifice, the Sabbath sacrifice, the new moon sacrifice, keep your relationship with God fresh. Be careful. Pay attention. Morning and evening. Spend time with God. Our Sabbath day has become Sunday, the Lord's day. We're specifically gathering together to pay attention to our relationship with God. Here, this new moon feast on a monthly basis. The king sat down to eat at the feast. The king sat on a seat, as at other times, a seat by the wall. Saul is paranoid. He doesn't want anybody behind him. His back is against the wall, and as usual, a spear in hand. Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He is unclean. Surely he's unclean. Now pause there. Look at, look at what Saul thinks about David. David's not here. And Saul's imagination is that it must be in relationship between David and God. The reason why David's not at the Lord's feast is because he must be unclean. Maybe he touched a dead body or something. David's unclean in some fashion. So that's that's Saul's initial thought concerning David's character. I think it's very telling. And And it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has the son of Jesse, not even willing to say David's name, why has the son of Jesse not come to eat either yesterday or today? So Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go, for our family has a sacrifice in this city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. And now... If I found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. Now, I want you to note here really quick, just in different people's ideas. I read one commentary that said, David must have gone to Bethlehem in truth and then come back to the field because Jonathan would not tell a lie. I'm watching Amber's brow going back there like, who would say that? (laughs) Jonathan is telling a lie according to the test and the scheme. He's doing it to ferret out his dad's true emotions, and he's doing it to protect the life of his friend, David. So, you assign the depth of 
guilt of Jonathan and David in this circumstance? I think it's a good test, but I got issues. All right, verse 30. <laughs> yeah, we know that. All right, Saul's anger. Again, I'm going to come back to this, this idea. This whole chapter is very emotionally charged. So put Saul at the 10. Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan. And he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen, right? Chosen, you have joined the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? Now, I'm not going to sit in the vulgarity of this statement, but what I want you to know is that is very high-level vulgarity recorded in the Word of God from a father to a son. Amped emotions. For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. You can even see in, in Saul's justification and twisting, this isn't just about me. If David keeps living, then my son won't be king. You know, he's got all these justifications going on. Now, therefore, send. You know where he is. You send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Literally, he is a son of death. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said, to him, why? why? Why should he be killed? What has he done? Then Saul cast a spear at his son to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. His father has evil in his thoughts and determination. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger, and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. Now, is the him he is grieved because he treated David shamefully? Yes. Is he grieved because he treated Jonathan himself personally shamefully? Absolutely. Again, and this, this just gets back to the priority of relationships. First relationship is between you and God. Children are to honor their parents, direct command of God. This parent is evil. The child is not. The child is remaining submitted to the Lord, and now he's going to go fulfill his covenant and obligation to his friends and uncover the evil of his dad. So verse 35, so it was in the morning. Oh, wait, back before we leave there. This gets back into Numbers 28, and again, I want to just sit in a moment in, in the exposure that the text is, get, uh, is giving us of Saul's heart. Variety of ways. Cursing at his son, trying to kill his son, but in his relationship with God. So Saul is participating in church. He's, having a, he's, he's at church. He's at a potluck. He's having a religious activity. The Lord has commanded them to be there on this day, to have this feast. The offering has been made. He is there gathered at a religious gathering, not a political gathering, not the king's gathering, the king's gathering. 
Is Saul being careful in his relationship with God, yes or no? How easy is it to participate in what God tells us to do and just be, eh. I can, I, I can read that sometimes the Bible bores me. I'm not into it. I'm not thinking. I'm not talking to God. I'm not having a conversation. I'm not seeking to understand. I'm just reading. I get nothing out of it. But boy, I read my Bible. Check. I came to church every single Sunday. I love being here. I love you people. I like to worship. I like to sing. I can stand there in the back of the room and not pay attention to a single lyric that comes out of my mouth. Check. I worshiped. I can sit up here and preach the greatest message that man has ever heard. And I can walk out of this place and go do my own thing. Check, I'm a good pastor. You feel it? You recognize it? You shall be careful. Attend to your God. He is there with you. Just as he was with King David, just as he was with his son, just as he was with the Apostle Paul, just as he was with Peter, just as he has been with every single hero of the faith you can name for all of history, he is with you. Listen to his voice. Not in doing your good boy, good girl check. But Lord, who are you? What does this mean? What are you saying to me? Help, help me understand. What do, what do I have to pull out of this text? Yeah, there's a lot of nuggets in here, Lord, and we can focus on different ideas, where I'm off, where I'm on, uh, what, you're, what you got to teach to me, what you would have me communicate to others. But ultimately, Lord, well, what's going on in, in, in this word right here between me and you? Because that is the most important thing. He has something to speak to you in the morning, throughout the day, at night, on the Sabbath, on the new moon, at Easter, tomorrow at Harvest Festival. Yes, on Halloween, God speaks and he is still sovereign. Amen? You shall be careful. And so it was in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the appointed time with David, and a little lad was with him. Then he said to the lad, Now run, find the arrows which I shoot. And as the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When the lad had come to the place where the arrow was, which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried out after the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan cried out after the lad, Make haste, hurry, do not delay. So Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came back to his master, but the lad did not know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew of the matter. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the lad and said to him, Go, carry them to the city. Now what's with all of this stuff that's going on? The purpose, one, in multiple places in the Bible, you know, when God is long-winded and detailed in his word, it's for it to be memorable to you. It's not to add all these extra layers and, and goofiness and for where's the secret sauce kind of stuff. What it is, is this, this is to be orally memorable to your mind and your heart. You can really easily remember Jonathan shooting these arrows. 
Say, no, they're beyond you. Hurry, make haste. And you know his voice is going to David, not to the lad, right? The reason for it too, just practically, Saul is watching Jonathan. So Jonathan needs a reason to get out of the house, get away from dad, to go to the field, to be in this place and not expose himself to his dad. He's going out for target practice. The lad can now bear witness on it, and this kid's not going to have any guilt. He gathers the arrow, sends the kid away, and now David comes out of hiding. Jonathan has a reason to be there in this brief moment with David, and the moment is brief. As soon as the lad had gone, look at David. David arose from a place towards the south, and he falls on his face to the ground. And he bowed down three times. And they kissed one another. And they wept together. But David, more so. Very, very emotional. Jonathan said to David, go in peace. Since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, may the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever, So he, David, arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Now, they only see one another one more time in the future. David, as he is going in peace, he is leaving wife, home, best friend, position, comfortability, that which is known, He is going in peace into the unknown. Do you feel at peace for David? Or do you feel kind of agitated? Somebody needs to just kill Saul, right? Don't you you feel sorry for David? I feel sorry for him. It's not right. But this is the thing. It is right. And whether he stays or whether he goes, he is in the Lord's peace. What is being performed in his life? Just think of the last chapter. If God wanted David to stay in peace, in safety, could God have caused him to stay, yes or no? Absolutely, 100%. So therefore, the reason why David is going in peace is because God God wants him to go. God's God's got a mind and a heart and a man to make in David. God has multiple circumstances to make himself known to David. David, The Lord has a, a journey to take David down, for David to follow him, to make him be the man that he wants him to be. And David submits to that in some ways and rebels against that in other ways, just like we do. Turn, worship team, come on up. Everybody else turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. This whole idea of going in peace. is also going in boldness, going in the direction that you know that the Lord is taking you, even in the midst of being hunted, being persecuted. This is a prayer of our early brothers and sisters for boldness. And I want us all to pray the same thing, not just this morning, but ongoing. So verse 23 of Acts chapter 4 says, And being let go, 
They went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, by whom the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servants, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, Look on their threats and grant to your servants with all boldness that they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Amen.